if you have your Bible today, I would ask you to open up to the, new, uh, the Old Testament book of Exodus. We're going to be looking at a very uh, famous and very short text of Scripture. It's one of the Ten Commandments. We'll be in Exodus chapter 20, and we're just going to read one verse, and that's verse 13. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Now, you may remember um, last week I said that we were going to have a guest speaker today. I ain't him. Uh, we're going to have somebody from the Tri-County Pregnancy Resource Center to come out and speak to us and share uh, a little bit about what they do there and at the at the Resource Center and, and talk about the sanctity of human life. But um, he is, has some uh, very serious health needs that um, he had some medicine for that he thought was going to start working sooner than they did. And they're not working yet. And so uh, he's, it's serious enough that he's going to have to end up probably taking a leave of absence from his own church. So... Um, uh, so he's not going to be able to be here today, uh, so you have me again. So what I would like to do is I would like to, uh, to talk about the sanctity of, of life. And uh, it's not going to be exactly probably what he would say because uh, I'm sure he would focus a lot on the, uh, on the work that they do in the center, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I'm going to look at what the Bible says about the sanctity of life. And if you've been watching the news lately or, or reading articles online, you probably have heard or seen talk about the expansion of abortion in New York. And if you're not familiar with what happened, uh, there was a, uh, a measure that was passed and uh, that they expanded the time frame in which an abortion could happen in New York. And when I heard it, and when I heard about the details, when I read the details, um, I was just sickened, as I'm sure many of you were, if you were, um, if you were aware of those things. And I almost preached on it last week, and, and honestly, as I was going in, into preparing for this sermon, um, I was going to focus only on abortion. But uh, as I studied, you know, uh, abortion is, is a major part of the sanctity of life and, and the command that we're going to look at, but it's not all of it. So we're going uh, to not restrict ourselves just to that topic, but we're going to look at what God has to say and how it applies to several aspects of our lives. So if you found Exodus chapter 20, I would ask you to stand, uh, if you're able, in honor of God's word. We're just going to read one verse. Very simply, it says, You shall not murder. Thank you, maybe seated. <laughs> now, the first thing that I want you to see here is the prohibition. The prohibition. Now, now, if you can read black words on a white page, you can see what God says not to do, right? I mean, it's very simple, very plain. God says, do not murder. Now, you may have grown up with a different translation that simply says, thou shalt not kill or don't kill. And it may seem kind of strange or may seem kind of different to hear the word murder instead of kill. But I'm using that word murder, and the Bible, some Bibles translate this very specifically for a reason. And the reason it's translated, and the reason I'm using the word murder instead of kill, I'll expand on a little bit later, but what is murder? We should start there. What is murder? Murder is the intentional taking of an innocent life. And the Bible is very clear how God feels about that. And in case you didn't know, he's against it. Okay, the Bible, all through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it talks about uh, God's view of, of uh, people that shed innocent blood. That's a phrase that's used over and over again, hands that shed innocent blood, and, and his feeling towards those things. And all throughout the scripture, we see this, especially in places like Proverbs chapter 6. We get, um, we get six, things that, six things that the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. And one of those things is hands that shed innocent blood. Uh, Psalm 106 recounts parts of Israel's history, and it recalls how the Israelites went to the promised land. God had given them the command, 
don't associate, don't intermingle with these, with these nations that are there. Instead, you need to either wipe them out or drive them out. But the, uh, the Israelites were disobedient to that. They went in. They didn't run them out. They didn't uh, destroy these nations. But instead, they intermingled and intermarried with them. And as such, they began to pick up some of the practices of the Canaanites. Now, one of these practices was actually child sacrifice. They would, they would sacrifice their children to a false god called Molech. And the Bible makes it clear that they were really, really worshiping demons when they did that. And God declared that the shedding of that innocent blood polluted the land. And he was very clear. He hates the shedding of innocent blood, and he would judge a nation that did that. Now, I said that I was drawing a distinction between murder and killing, and here's the reason why. All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. Let me say that again. All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. And, and so, so what are some examples of killing that would not be murder? Well, one would be capital punishment. Capital punishment is not murder. Now, what is capital punishment? Well, capital punishment is if somebody commits a serious crime, so serious that their life is, uh, is, is forfeited because of the seriousness of that crime. And the Bible makes it clear, especially in Romans chapter 13, that God has ordained civil government for the welfare of the people. And when government properly operates, I mean, we have, uh, we have a probably, well, our government's kind of messed up right now, but, but our system of government is probably one of the best in the world despite its flaws. But having said that, it ain't perfect. Because when a government properly functions, what it does is it rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. That is the role of government. That is for the welfare of the people. And the Bible speaks of, of the government bearing the sword. Now, when, when the government functions as it's supposed to, it bears the sword not to swat your hand because you've done something bad, but rather it bears the sword because it has the power and the the, the capacity to put someone to death as a result of committing a capital crime. Another instance of killing that's not murder would be a case of self-defense. There are passages in the Bible, especially like Exodus chapter 22, verses 2 and 3, that speak about our right to defend ourselves in our homes up to the point of taking a life. If somebody breaks in and, 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 uh, and well, Exodus chapter 22, verses 2 and 3, make it clear, if, if a thief breaks in in the night and they're killed, that the person that killed him is not guilty, not guilty of murder. Another instance would be in the case of an accidental death. Deuteronomy 19 gives an example of two guys to go out into the woods and they're cutting uh, cutting timber, they're cutting wood, and in the process of that, uh, one of them swinging an axe and the axe head flies off the handle and hits a man uh, and kills him. Verse six of Deuteronomy 19 says that man is not deserving of death because he didn't do it out of hatred. He didn't do it out of malice. So this prohibition is not about accidental death. It's not about, uh, it, it's, not, it's, it's none of those things. It's talking about an intentional taking of an innocent human life. Why? Why is murder wrong? Now, that seems like an obvious question, doesn't it? Because, I mean, we have a natural, it's written on, 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 our, on, on our hearts, whether you're a Christian or not, you are naturally repelled by the idea of taking someone's life. But why is that wrong? Why is that bad? Well, I want to tell you that Christians are the only ones who have a consistent answer for this. Every other worldview must borrow from our worldview to make, the, to, to make this a bad thing. 
Well, what I mean, if a person holds a view that rejects God, number one, they have no outside moral standard of right and wrong. They have no outside moral standard of right and wrong. They can't look at something and say, this is wrong all the time. Many people who, don't hold, who hold a view that doesn't include God, they say that morality is either uh, culturally defined or it's personal, it's subjective. And I actually heard a debate. Most people, if you press them on this, are not consistent here. But I actually heard a debate where a man who is making this, this claim that there is no God, therefore there's no moral standard, he, he was actually consistent. And he said, even though he found what Hitler and the Nazis did reprehensible, he could not say it was wrong. Because in their culture, that was okay. If you don't have God in the picture, you don't have a moral absolute of right and wrong. Also, if, uh, if, if we're just uh, the process of random, undirected mutations and, and, and happenstance, as one speaker terms it, if one bag of stardust kills another bag of stardust, what does that matter? If, if we're just a, a random set of molecules, life has no inherent value. But I want to tell you the message of the Bible is that human life is sacred, not because culture says so, not because we have some subjective feelings that say this person is valuable, but rather life is sacred, and here's the principle. We, we've, we've had the, the prohibition. Next, I want you to see the principle. Life is sacred because mankind is created in the image of God. Mankind is created in the image of God. Now, back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 9, uh, in verse 6, Noah and his family have gotten off the ark. They've been through the flood. And God is speaking to Noah, and here's what he says. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For, here's the reason why, in the image of God he made man. Did you catch that? Murdering another person is a capital offense. It's so serious that death is an appropriate punishment because mankind bears the image of God. Now this is incredibly important. We as Christians say, well yeah, everybody... We, we have the Imago Dei, uh, everybody has the image of God, okay, let's move on. But it's incredibly important. Because if human beings are made in the image of God, when does that human life become valuable? As soon as it starts. At the moment of conception. It doesn't matter if it's inside the womb or outside the womb, they bear the image of God. Now, I, I want you to, I, I want you to, to think about some people say, well, if they're young enough, if they're still in the womb, if it's before a certain period, well, then, you know, they're not viable, therefore they're not really human. Now, listen, in the early stages of life, that baby looks a lot different than they do when they come out. But I want you to look at your grade school yearbook and then look in the mirror. You don't look the same today as you did back in grade school, do you? You don't look the same today as you did uh, when, when, when you graduated high school. You don't look the same today as you did a month ago. Some of us, right? Because we have, uh, me, I have a lot less on top and a lot more around the middle. I mean, I, I look rough today. Like used to, I was pristine. Mint condition. Um, maybe not mint, but I, a lot better now. Yeah, that, that baby in the early stages looks different. But that doesn't mean it's not a baby. That doesn't mean it's not a person. And I want you to, I want you to, to consider this. God says that, that people are so valuable 
that taking their life is a capital offense because they bear the image of God. I want you to keep that in mind as, as you listen to uh, this text out of Exodus chapter 21, uh, verses 22 and 23. And if you have your Bible open, you can just uh, look across the page and see what it says. It says, if a man, uh, this is, uh, this is uh, chapters, uh, 22 and, uh, chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, sorry. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, so here's a pregnant woman, a man hits her, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him and shall pay as the judges decide. But... If there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for what? Life. In other words, that killing of the unborn child is seen as murder, so much so that the, the one who strikes a woman and kills the child pays for it with his life. Why? Because that baby bears the image of God, just like it says in Genesis 9-6. That child is valuable even in the womb. So we've seen the prohibition, don't murder. We've seen the principle behind the prohibition. People are made in the image of God. Third, I want you to see the problem. The problem we have in this world, the problem that we have in this country, is that life is not valued. Life is not sacred. We live in a culture and a world that celebrates and loves death. And I'm talking about all stages of life. We see it in the, in the youngest members of our society, the preborn children. There is a war going on every day in this country on babies. Now, in Missouri, I did some research. There used to be a number of abortion mills in this state. Guess how many there are now? One in St. Louis. That is great. It's not great that it exists, but it's a lot better than having multiple places. One. And even though it repulsed me to do so, I actually called that abortion clinic up just to verify there's only one. And it made me sick to even talk to them about this, uh, about this practice. They said they're fighting to get one open back up in Columbia right now. But right now there's just one. But a lot of places, uh, a lot of places are not as fortunate as Missouri is. You probably have heard, as I, as I referenced earlier, that New York recently passed a bill that allowed abortion up to the third trimester. In fact, it allows abortion even to the point of birth. Now, I want you to think, a lot of the, a lot of the arguments for abortion that you hear are what? Well, the baby is, is not viable. This law just does away with all that. They say, well, the baby is not really a person, so on and so forth. Finally, they're just throwing off all restraint. Another instance that you may not have heard about, may not be as familiar with, is out in Virginia, the Democratic delegate Kathy Tran put forth a bill called the Repeal Act. And I would encourage you just to Google this, this, this bill and this lady. There's video of her testifying and speaking in the House. And when she was asked about it by the majority House leader, she confirmed that abortion in her bill that she's putting forth in Virginia Abortion could be performed as late as when the woman was dilating. If she asked for it then, even though she's in the process of giving birth, it was getting started, her bill allowed for it. It gets even worse. 
in the Journal of Medical Ethics, and again, this is, this is easily accessible online, 2018 article. You can Google this stuff, read it for yourself. It's sickening, but you can read it for yourself. Now, this is a medical journal of ethics, what should happen. There was a, a, uh, an article that was published titled, After Birth Abortion. Think about that phrase. After birth abortion, why should the baby live? And here are some quotes from the article. One of them says, in spite of the oxymoron in the expression, we propose to call this practice after birth abortion rather than infanticide to emphasize that the moral status of the individual killed is comparable with that of a fetus on which abortions in the traditional sense are performed rather than to that of a child. Therefore, we claim that killing a newborn could be ethically permissible in all the circumstances where abortion would be. Such circumstances include cases where the newborn has the potential to have an at least acceptable life, but the well-being of the family is at risk. Think, think about the words that I'm saying. Accordingly, a second terminological specification is that we call such a practice after-birth abortion rather than euthanasia because the best interest of the one who dies is not necessarily the primary criterion for the choice, contrary to what happens in the case of euthanasia. Now, I just want you to let those words sink in. They call it afterbirth abortion. What does the Bible call it? Murder. You kill somebody, that's murder. A short time later, they write, both a fetus and a newborn certainly are human beings and potential persons, which that is incorrect, but they are human beings and potential persons, but neither is a person in the sense of, quote, subject of a moral right to life. Now, you can mark this down. Quality of life and value of life are not the same thing. And when you go from value of life to quality of life, you've lost the argument. Human life, all human life, is valuable. Listen, it's not just the preborn and the newborns now that are in the crosshairs. Euthanasia is becoming more and more common. I read an article from the Washington Post, uh, August 16, 2018, when it was published, and it says that Belgium children are being euthanized at the children's request. So here are children who have an illness who are requesting from their doctors to be killed, and the doctors are doing it. Think about that. According to this Washington Post article, between January 1, 2016 and, January, and December 31, 2017, doctors gave lethal injections to three children under the age of 18, the youngest being nine. A nine-year-old requested to be put to death, and they did it. Think about that. What nine-year-old do you know that has the capacity to make that choice? Doctor-assisted suicide is now legal in more than 10% of the states here in the U.S. And we go on and on about, uh, about the, the, the cheapening of human life, about the homicide rate. We can talk about the violence. We can talk about all these things that, that, that they're so pervasive in our culture. And that's it's, it's depressing, isn't it? It's a heavy thing. We live in a depraved world. But I just want to pull back from all that. We get down into, into the muck, and it's sickening. It turns your stomach. But I just want to pull back and ask, is simply not taking someone else's life the whole of this command? 
think about this. If I don't kill somebody, if I don't go out and shoot them, stab them, choke them, whatever, have I fulfilled this command? Well, certainly I fulfilled the letter of it because I literally, physically haven't killed that person. The letter of the law has been kept, but the spirit of the law goes much further. Jesus, you remember the New Testament in the Sermon on the Mount, what he say? You've heard it said, don't murder, but I say to you what? If you hate somebody in your heart, if you're angry with somebody in your heart, you've killed them already. He elevates that. The inward desire for somebody's death is sinful as well as the outward act. Now, a lot more can be said about all that, but that's enough uh, for a sermon all on its own. But the command, I believe, goes even further. Because simply not murdering others is the negative side of things, but there's a positive counterpart. See, it's not just something that we should avoid doing, but something we should actively do. Now, thanks to the New Testament, somebody said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What do he say? Anybody remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is the summation of the first four commandments. Don't have any other gods, so on and so forth. And he said the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a summary of the last six commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and so forth. So Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love God. The second is to love people. So the negative side is, don't murder somebody. The positive side is, we should love our neighbor. We should help those who are not able to help themselves. We should help those who are oppressed. We should help those who are taken advantage of. We should stand up to and stand against evil people. Because Christians, if we don't, who's going to do it? Nobody is. Nobody is. Folks, life is sacred at all stages. And it is wrong. It is a sin to intentionally take an innocent life. And that applies to in the womb. It applies to school shootings. It applies to gang activities, euthanasia, and on and on and on it goes. And the Bible is crystal clear in both the Old and the New Testament. Do not do it. Now, I know everybody here and I can't think of a single person here that's going to go out and kill somebody. He's not going to do it. You say, well, does that mean that I've sat here through this sermon for nothing? No, I don't, I don't believe so. Because even if we don't personally end someone's life, there are a lot of uh, extra things that this applies to. My hope is that it will, at the very least, firm up our commitment to stand up for the unborn. May it remind us to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. May it remind us afresh that we're to love our neighbor and to stand against injustice and evil in whatever form that takes. And the reason that we can love them, even if they're not lovable, even if the world doesn't value them, the reason we can love them is because we first have been loved. He who's been forgiven much, what? Loves much. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's an offer for each person. If you will trust in Christ as your Savior, you'll be forgiven. You say, well, Pastor, you've talked a lot about murder. It's plain that that's wrong to do. 
Is there forgiveness for that? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. You remember David in the Old Testament? He had another man killed, took that man's wife as his own. Yet, he turned to God in repentance, in faith, confessed his sin to God, and God forgave him. Say, what about for abortion? Yeah, there's grace for that too. Because you know what? The person that's had an abortion needs grace same as you and I do. Because we're all sinners. Each of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, I'm just going to say it as plainly as I know how. Life is valuable. Understand with me as musicians come. And nobody looking around. I just ask that you close your head, uh, close your head, and bow your head and close your eyes. And I just want you to pray. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here that has made that choice, has encouraged somebody to make that choice in the preborn child's life. There's forgiveness for that. Maybe you have somebody in your life that is considering that. They've come to you seeking counsel. Stand up for the unborn. Speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. There are things that we can do Unity to protect the unborn. We can volunteer, we can give, we can do any number of things. Maybe you have some sin in your life that's not murder, it's not abortion, but you need some grace nonetheless. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, sometimes we don't know what to pray during these times. As far as we know, we're prayed up. We don't have unconfessed sin in our lives. Pray for our nation. We live in a wicked, wicked world that loves and celebrates and values death rather than life. That child sacrifice didn't end in the Old Testament. I tell you, it's happening every day in this country. The details are different. The same forces behind it are the same. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is this is a heavy topic, and it's difficult to listen to, and it's difficult to preach about. But God, that is the world in which we live. And Lord, I pray that even now that you would would use your word as applied by your Spirit to our hearts. Help us be 
set in our, our opposition to evil. God, strengthen our resolve to stand up for the unborn. And not just the unborn, all those who are vulnerable in our society. God, help us to fight injustice as we're able, in whatever form that is. Maybe it's, maybe it's as simple, Lord, as, as that person at work that everybody kind of shuns, they kind of pick on. Help us to see that person as valuable, as bearing your image, and help us to be kind to that person. God, if there's somebody here who's maybe uh, experienced abortion firsthand or they have encouraged somebody to do it or, or uh, whatever form that is, God, help them to find forgiveness. God, we, we thank you for your grace that is greater than our sin. And it's so easy to cast stones at, at people that we deem almost unsavable and turn a blind eye to our own sin. But God, help us not to do that. Help us to hate our sin as well as somebody else's. God, if there's somebody here who needs uh, salvation, they need to come to you in faith. God, I pray that you'd help them to do that. Thank you for your word that speaks to us right where we are. It doesn't pull punches. It doesn't change according to the dictates of society. But it's it's settled in, in heaven. It's timeless and yet timely. Let us thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.